Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio. And our guest this month is Diana Burbano. Diana is an equity actor, a playwright, and a teaching artist at South Coast Repertory and Breath of Fire Latina Theater Ensemble. She also works as a mentor for both playwrights and actors and is an active blogger. Her playwriting work is prolific, focusing on Latinx characters. She was involved with the second annual Ingenio Milagro New Works Project, which showcases four Latino and Latina playwrights in a week's worth of rehearsals and workshopping. Diana was gracious enough to check in with us soon after that event. Are you recovered from this year's Ingenio Milagro? Just barely. It was a pretty intense experience this year to um, to mentor four playwrights with four wildly different plays that needed four wildly different amounts of um, care and feeding. Were you in charge of, of of mentoring all four of them? Well, I was. Yes, I was sort of the. I was the, at first. I was sort of the playwright mentor, and then I was the dramaturg. But I'm not really a dramaturg, so that that didn't quite fit. I, I sort of became the problem solver for them. And some of them had less um, problems to solve. So so I was able to concentrate more on the ones that did need a little more work. Okay. Um, just for the sake of our audience, because I've already done the research on this, let's talk about what Ingenio Milagro actually is. Well, uh, Ingenio Milagro is a festival that the um, Milagro Theater Company, also known as Miracle, up in Portland, Oregon, puts on once a year uh, to honor brand new Latinx work. Uh, by Latinx playwrights, and so this year I was on the committee, and we chose four plays to um, to workshop for a week and to bring to our our audiences up there in Portland. Okay, uh, who were the playwrights? We had four really interesting people this year. We um, I worked with Brian Otaño, who is a, a Los Angeles-based playwright with his play Tara. And then there was Mercedes Flores Islas, who wrote a really extraordinary trilingual, actually quadrilingual piece that incorporated English, Spanish, American Sign Language, and um, Nahual. Uh, and then it was uh, Adrian Dawes, who wrote a piece called Casta, which is about um, Casta paintings in Mexico. And Casta paintings were painted by the Spanish. They had them commissioned to show how uh, when you bred because, because you know, the the Span, Spanish came to Mexico, it was all males, and they came in and they had to find women, and they would breed with the women, and it was a, a chart as to what how much white your child was, depending on whether you had a Indian wife or a black wife um, or a Creole wife. It's a fascinating piece on race, because it's something that we don't really talk about in the Latin American community, that we do indeed have a lot of... Uh, race issues, but we sort of sweep it under the rug. But here's here she had a whole play about um, uh, how we treat race in South America, and it's really extraordinary. It's really a wild, wild piece. What was the um, audience and, reaction to that? You know, it was something I don't think that a lot of people had thought about that before. The fact that that the Spanish categorized the people and the the one drop policy that kind of happened to African Americans here in the United States. I don't think they were aware that that was something that was thought about and discussed in Latin America as well. And indeed, it just gets darker and darker. The the deeper you go into mixing the races, the, the worse the names get. You know, there's Creole and then there's uh, Mulata and then there's Octoroon. And then you go down further when 
the the couples are more Native American and African, and there are words like torna atrás, which means turn back, or tente en el aire, which means holding in the air, which we kind of figured meant that you don't know where you belong because you don't know whether you're black or white or, or, or Native. Uh, yeah, it was a really interesting re- uh, reaction. I really do think that was new information for the audience. It sounds absolutely fascinating, and especially because most of our most of the audience up in Portland is um, it, there's it's it's uh, mostly um, it's not very diverse town. So it's Milagro has done a wonderful thing where they've invited all audiences to come and experience uh, theater in Spanish. But so the audience kind of knows how to listen for things. But again, that was a big surprise for them. It sounds like uh, a lot of the audience was. Uh... Non-Latino, white. That's correct. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of the work was presented in Spanish, or some of the work was presented in Spanish. Well, that's the interesting thing. It's kind of, um, we're trying to sort of de-radicalize the idea of the language. So the work was bilingual. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the way that Latinos actually speak English and Spanish, especially those of us, and, and I would wager to say that there's quite a few of us, especially in the playwriting world, that... We straddle the languages as naturally as, you know, you would speak English. And so sort of unapologetically letting the the people who don't speak Spanish catch up to the language. And my my sort of philosophy on that is if, if you can spend the first 10 minutes at a Shakespeare play and be completely lost until somehow you, your ear catches it, mm-hmm. you know, you can do the same thing with Spanish, but but we've set up barriers to that language that makes it feel like, oh, it's an impossible thing. I'll never understand. People are speaking uh, about me. People, it, They're trying to not include me in this language. So it, it's a way of de-radicalizing the language to sort of offer the pieces as they exist. Okay. With... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, please finish. No, and it's it's kind of a fascinating thing because it is there. It depending on the audience, like I say, Milagro's audience is really they're aware. They've been there for many many years, and the audience they have taught their audience, they have trained their audience to learn to listen to that that kind of language and to accept it as it's part of the the playwriting. Um, it's part of the rule book of seeing a play at Milagro, and it's fascinating the differences between that and what you get sometimes even in L.A. Mm-hmm. where people are like, I didn't understand it. I don't know. Couldn't you have subtitles? Or It's it's very, it's really interesting. But what the training they've done for their audience has been very, very good in that way, I think. Yeah, I, I think people are taught to lean too heavily upon the actual words, especially in theater. Uh, because I say that because I've seen plays in other languages, languages I did not and still do not understand. Um I have seen plays in Spanish, and dialects are different, are radically different. Right now, I'm living in a place where we would say amarillo, not amarillo. Uh But if you go outside of the area, people look at you and go, oh, you're from Puriscal. You know. um, (laughs) That's funny. Well, (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's it's things like that. But I've I've also seen plays in Arabic, and Mm -hmm. I only know a little bit of Arabic, but somehow I knew what was going on in that whole play. I didn't know the exact words between the, uh, uh, the intent and the acting and the situations. You tend to pick up what's going on. You may not know the words, but I find a lot of audiences grow past that. Yes, indeed they do. It's, it's just an active listening and, uh, understanding the rules and the length, the, the, the rules of, of going to see a play 
you know, and letting it, well, I do, I know I've seen things in languages I don't understand. And I, I, I'm caught usually by the, the middle of the first act and, and I'm not having a problem with it. So I'm really, I'm very, very, uh, interested in, in, in de-radicalizing Spanish because I, I feel Spanish in particular because of the political situations and the way that people think that it's, and Vietnamese in a way too, especially in California, I'm thinking of the languages that get a lot of, you know, speak, speak English, you're in America mm-hmm. uh, kind of languages. It tends to be Spanish in some of the Asian languages as well. And I think, I mean, I don't know that you would do that to a French person or to a, a German, but I, I don't know, maybe you would, I don't know, but it just seems a very... It's a very strange thing that we have in America that that instead of embracing different languages and different cultures, it becomes a barrier. I, and it's not it's something that I'm actively I've always actively been interested in pushing against. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I, I, I think that at least with the French and the German, they're not nearly as prevalent as right. the Spanish are. And Spanish gets in uh conversations or in in the air in inside your your oral range much more often and i think a lot of people who don't understand it tend to react to the fact that they can't understand it and i think that's where most of our barriers spring up from but as far as approaching the french or the german eh, you know um spanish is is much more out there it's much more in the face of the public it is it is but i i really wonder i mean have you ever thought about trying to learn a language as an adult? I'm trying to learn Japanese right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I can barely get past like the haragana. I'm so, you know, yeah. and, and so you, you think about people, people coming to this country. I mean, it's also a little lack of empathy and compassion. They're not doing it simply to thumb their noses at anybody. It's oh, very no. difficult to learn yeah. a language, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I mentioned before, I'm, I'm, I'm learning Spanish now because I'm living uh, part-time in a Spanish country. And I'm happy when I can get a sentence out that's almost grammatically correct. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. Know, I, I get the accent right, but inevitably what happens is people think I'm better at it than I am. And uh-huh. they start speaking to me in normal Spanish. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Mastis, basio, por favor, por favor, you know. <laughs> um, and I think that's where a lot of, of the, you know, the disconnect occurs. Mhm. Mhm. I agree. Yeah. yeah, it's. I'm. I can't wait for another year from now when I can actually, you know, converse almost normally. Yeah. Well, I think it happens. I think immersion is the best thing. It's like a click in your brain. I think yeah. when mm-hmm. it just goes click. Oh, all of a sudden your body gets it. Yep. You know. Yep. Bing. Yep. Yes. <laughs> okay. So let's talk more about uh, Ingenio Malagado. Let's, because um, it's a week long uh, uh, festival or process, yes. correct? All right. So right. uh, let's say I'm, I'm a playwright and I've been accepted in there. What do I go through? What should I expect? And what do I see as a result? Great. So, for example, I, I didn't mention the last play that we did, which was um, uh, Nelson Marcano's uh, World Classic, which was about a Puerto Rican family um, listening to the the uh, a big baseball series game together. It, it's a kitchen sink, sort of the classic American kitchen sink style drama, mm-hmm. but with a Puerto Rican family. And and so what, I'll start with that one. So, for example, Nelson's play was in terrific shape. I mean, it is. Uh, as far as development went, I think we just sat, listened to the language and, and, uh, and tried to give him 
less feedback and more just, you know, it's so valuable for an actor to sit to, for a playwright to sit in a room with a group of actors and just hear them speak the words and see what works, what doesn't, how much is overwritten. I mean, I know you know this, George, but, uh, but it's really important because you write, I, I personally also do this. You overwrite mm-hmm. and then yeah. you cut, you cut and you cut and you winnow and you winnow because you, you're seeing the actors do it on stage, you know? Um, so that's one of the things that I think is a great gift that Milagro gives playwrights. For the, some of the more, the, the, I'll call them unwieldy, but that's not meant to be a criticism. Like uh, the Costa play was huge and bilingual, and it also had casting needs that were very specific. We needed Afro-Latinx. We needed Native Americans. Um, we needed people who spoke Castilian Spanish, which is, is different from um, Latin American Spanish. Yeah. And that was it was wrestling all those actors into a room. And then what Adrienne did is she really, she took her time in a different way because she didn't need so much guidance from me. She knew what she wanted. She worked it as a puzzle. So again, the gift was the actors and the actors were so generous and so willing to, to just do what (laughs) these crazy things that they were asking, you know, get new pages, uh, try different accents, uh, just try physical experiments to see whether that would, that would spark something for Adrienne. So with Costa, it was very much, uh, play, let's play, let's work the puzzle together. Let's build something. Um, with CJ, which was, like I say, the trilingual play, I mean, we spent a lot of the time just figuring out how to rehearse it because we had English speakers, Spanish speakers, and we had, um, uh, actors who were completely deaf and partially deaf, and we had some interpreters, but not enough. So literally, how do you, how do you sit in a room with this group and just read a play out loud was the first puzzle we had to, the, the first piece of the, the puzzle that we had to figure out. And that took a remarkably long time because, you know, you want to communicate. That's what acting is. That, so how best to communicate with people who didn't speak sign language? And um, it, that process was long and a little bit arduous because it became a, about, well, well, how do we do this? How do we do this? Until we all sort of let it go and said, let's, let's hear the words. Let's not, we don't have to, the audience is here to watch a process. And right now for our playwright, it's about the words. So we can invite the audience into our process, but we need to be mindful that as a development piece, it's more about hearing the play. So that sort of freed the idea of having to present it to the audience. And the audience was really into that one, too. They loved watching how we were sort of working the the mechanics of it. It's a little bit like, you know, just opening the clock and letting you watch the gears work. So that was kind of fun. That was different from what we did with the other ones, because Brian Otanios was also just it's. Oh, that play. I think that play is going to just go somewhere so fast. It's called Tara. It's so good. It's so sharp and so funny and unexpected. Um, so he didn't need much of me mentoring or any development at all. He mostly needed his actors and to run it and to do rewrites and to to spark the dialogue. And so that's where he was with it. So it was a very different process for each one of the plays. And what I particularly loved about Milagro this year is that as you know, and as everybody probably should know, there is no such thing as a Latin play, like a Latino Latinx play. There's no one thing, right? Mm-hmm. We had a kitchen sink drama. We had this gigantic surrealist piece. We had a uh, piece for uh, uh, the hearing impaired. And we had this crazy, like, Quentin Tarantino-esque, fantastic, nasty Puerto Rican piece. They're all completely different. And 
when somebody tells me, so what is it? What, my friend, I have a very good friend who calls it, well, it's not the burrito and housemaid paradigm. Believe it or not, we live a very <laughs> varied life, you know? Yeah. We, yeah, so that's what I especially liked, is just being able to show the wide range of, of storytelling that uh, Latino, has, Latino theater has available to it. Yes. You mentioned earlier, uh, you said this as an aside, and I'd like to get back to that because it sounds to me like you're doing the work of a dramaturg, but you said you weren't a dramaturg. Well, I'm not. You know, I am I am a writer. I'm actually an actor. Um, I started as an actor in this business, and I became a writer because I was I had run out of roles to play. You know, I'm classically trained. I trained in England. I... I I loved acting, but after I hit a certain age, after I hit my 40s, nothing happened. I mean, really, the, the parts are, they're not, they weren't available. And then, um, so I started to write for myself. Yeah. This is a story I've heard from so many yes. actors in your situation. Yes. And, and because, you know, I, I was really lucky. A lot of the work that I did get to do was new play work. I've worked with South Coast Repertory. I've worked with... Um, uh, Center Theater Group here in Los Angeles, and we I do a lot of new plays, and that what that is is a lot of in-house readings of new work by playwrights, and so I'm not formally trained, but I I kind of learned on the job what works and what doesn't, and um and I really started to like it. I started to write for myself, and then I realized I don't need to be in these things. I'm so excited to write parts for women, <laughs> write parts for older women, write really you know kick-ass parts for um for women that that it, it became less about me being an actor and more about me getting really excited to get the work out there for other people to do. Did it feel like a dam had burst open? Oh, it was incredible. <laughs> it was an incredible thing. Yes, that's precisely what it felt like. It's Yeah, because it sounds to me, just listening here, I mean, speaking to you for the first time, that there was just so many stories that you felt like you wanted to tell. Well, sure. and um, And I just... So I just did a reading of one of my plays here in Los Angeles. I did um, Policarpa at the Blank for their Living Room series. Which I just listened to. Yeah, thank you, yes. Um, so, uh, we, I had my director here in L.A. decided to cast it with, it, he didn't double cast it, so it wasn't a small cast. He took all nine parts, he cast all nine parts. It's huge, it was in a very small space, so it was a little bit crazy, but it was great crazy, you know what I mean? It yeah. was fantastically chaotic and in all the best Latin American ways. And I, I know Latin American people will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like there's there's an embrace of fatalism and um, disaster that leads to comedy that I think is something that I that really appeals to me because I, I don't like to take myself too seriously. Bonicarpa is a very serious piece, but my director here kind of took the Mickey out of it a little bit, which I thought was terrific. But but what what really I can um, tell you did train in England. Oh I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. But uh, what, what was fun for me was to see the actors come in and just bite into these roles. I mean, people I really respect, really well, well-known and well-connected Latino actors here in um, Los Angeles coming to do this very small project that, you know, there's no money. There was, it was, the rehearsal was crazy. It was like we had to rehearse in all these crazy different spaces and to get it up on its feet. And the blank does this thing where they don't let you do stage directions. So somehow we had to convey this gigantic surrealist show with no stage directions, but, and they were so into it. And I thought, why are you doing this for me? Why are you doing this? And they would say, you know, nobody, I've never played a part like this. I've never played a part like this. And this is fun. 
you know? Hey, good for you. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that was a great thing to come out of it. That made me very happy. That made me very, very happy. Yeah, that wouldn't make anybody happy. It seems like you've written an awful lot of stuff. I was looking through your website, and there were just plays and monos and, and things like that. And yes, it seems like you do have a lot to say. But you're also under commission now uh, in two places, I think. Alter Lab in San Rafael and uh, the At Center Theater Group. What's going on with those? Well, the Alter Lab at San Rafael, I was um, asked to become one of their playwrights in residence. And there are three, uh, four of us uh, women playwrights. And basically, they said, come and write with us. And they, their only um, restriction is that you have to have a play at the end of the year or else you don't get the last part of your paycheck, which I think is hilarious and kind of fabulous. Um, and just write. And there's no, there are no restrictions. You don't have to write for their company. You don't have to do anything. You just have to write. However, you have to write something that sort of scares you or something that you haven't done before, something that, that you find challenging. So I'm, I'm, for the first time, I'm approaching a little bit of my own family story, which is not something that I have ever done before. And it is pretty terrifying. But uh, it's yeah. it, that's an that's an interesting dig. That's an interesting dig. I'm trying to be very honest. It's one of those plays, you know, where they say you should always write as if the people you love are dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm going to be in huge trouble with my family. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That'll yeah, be yeah. fun. Uh, <laughs> Although, you know, maybe they won't recognize them themselves. I guess uh, Tennessee Williams' mom claimed not to recognize herself in Glass Menagerie. So I'll just cling to that hope. <laughs> yeah, my sister-in-law still claims she doesn't recognize the character that I put into one of my plays, but yeah, yeah. I think she's just being nice. But, um, <laughs> well, it's immortality, right? Oh god, it sounds like fun though. Yeah, that is fun. I mean, it you're moving fun. from the objective to the highly personal. Yeah, and that's that's hard. It's difficult. We could write about other people. Right? Yes. Other problems. Yes. You know? And we can do this completely dispassionately, but. Once exactly. you're, you know, once, <laughs> once you start <laughs> once writing you're about people the at the dinner table, it's, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, good yeah, luck yeah. with that. Thank you. Thank you. It's <laughs> terrifying. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh. And then for Center Theater Group, which I haven't quite started yet, but we'll be starting in a couple of weeks. I'm writing, um, so they, they invite a playwright in to write a play. It has to be a whole new play. And they, what they've done is they have asked us to, um, to find people we'd like to talk to, to do research about our new play. And to be honest, this is one I'm very comfortable with. This is a, you know, cause I love research. All my stuff is really research based. So like, Oh, I, I know exactly. And I'm going to write a play about, um, autism and language. And so center theater group is getting me an expert in, uh, autism that I can interview. And I, what we do is we interview our experts in front of our playwright, our uh, cohort, and we just talk to them and we, we get, um, information and, and then, uh, the other playwrights will talk to their, um, experts. And then we will spend the next couple of months, maybe generating some pages and then come back and read the pages for, for the cohort. It's, it sounds really exciting and I'm yeah. very, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really honored. It's a bit, it's going to be fun. It's, there's some people in that group that I am just amazed and excited to be working with. It sounds like so. so much, so much fun and such a challenge too. Yes. Yeah. You're gonna it get, is. You're, you're going to get some good stuff out of this. I can tell. I'm excited. I, I'm excited. I've been thinking about this play for a long time. I, I have a friend who has a little boy with locked in autism, mm-hmm. but he's 
he's brilliant. You know, they thought he was never going to communicate, but he, she's such a fierce lady, man. She got him a tricked out iPad. And, and at first they said, well, you're the one writing it. You know, you're holding his hand. Obviously you're the one, but the kid, he, she, she taught him how to do it and he communicates. He absolutely communicates. There's, and it's beautiful. And I thought, wow, there's really something interesting to that being locked into that kind of language. Cause the kid is incredibly articulate, you know, with his little iPad sound, his little Stephen Hawking voice. Yeah. And it's fantastically interesting. And he's so smart. And, and obviously he suffers less from what a lot of autistic kids suffer from that frustration and that the, the, the anguish because he can communicate. Right. So that was a very magical sort of idea for me. And then I heard this thing on NPR about an orangutan in the Cleveland Zoo who's trying to actually talk. He was raised with humans. I guess he was a, a performing orangutan, and and he is using his vocals, uh, trying to use his voice box, which he doesn't have, to to actually make human sounds. And I thought, wow, there's some, wow. There, there's yeah, isn't that cool? Well, there's something there, something about language between those two characters, and there's a story there. So I now I have to find it. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that'll be a fun dig. That's gonna be an that's gonna be an amazing fun dig. Yeah, good luck, I'm good luck with that. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All these great ideas that you've got. I, okay, um, let's uh, let's let's move on a little bit here um, because one of the things I noticed when I started doing research about you, um, and one of the things I always ask my playwrights is, who do you write about? You know, who, who, who are the folks who populate your plays? And you write, I tend to focus on uh, Latinx female characters to take them beyond the gang moms and household paradigm to which we sometimes seem consigned. And I wrote down a schizoid number of questions about how to deal with that <laughs> sentence. Um, and I'm probably going to, you know, just forget about 99% of them. But first of all, we're okay. Let's we're seeing these gang moms and these housemaid, you know, characters. Who's writing those characters? Uh, not Latinx people. All right, that was going to be my question. Yeah, I mean, I'm really thinking a lot on television. I get, you know, you watch. I can't tell you how many narco shows I've watched about Colombia. Mm-hmm. That I, I'm, you know, and with Catherine Zeta Jones playing um, narco princesses and. Uh, yeah. you know, it, it's a little bit, and then you watch this, the content that's generated in Latin America and Mexico. That's not the vaunted telenovela that they're always telling us not to write. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, they're just people, you know, they're just people. So I, I think just sort of ripping, I don't know the exoticization of women in general. I mean, I do think it's not just Latin American, Latinx women. It's it's women in general. There, that there's been sort of a an otherness placed on us. That, that virgin whore thing. It's that I feel it's high time to just rip it apart and humanize. Um, and because I happen to be Latinx, and because I happen to know some fantastic Latinx actresses who are chronically underemployed, I tend to write for them. I I have some. I know it's just some great actresses that sometimes I'm I'm writing and I'm definitely have their voice in my head you know, thinking, oh, she'd be really good at this, or I wonder how Christina would do that, or I wonder how, how Juliana would do that, and I, uh, that's, that's what I write for. That's what I write for. Well, good, because we need to hear more of those voices. Yeah, I think so. They're very smart people, you know? Uh, well, they're people. 
They're people yeah. like everybody else's people. Totally, and totally. Sure, and and once once your voice has not been heard or has been conjured up into a stereotype for years and years and years, you you need to tell the truth, and you need yes. to show these people as they are because they're not all wonderful people. They're not all evil people. They're exactly. people. Exactly. Exactly. I've also gotten in a few really good, fun arguments about how I shouldn't be writing them as villains, but I disagree with that because I think that's part of the experience is, is that they're not all perfect either because there was a school of thought that we should only write sort of uplifting um, mm -hmm. stories that I, I really disagree with because, A, it's not my kind of theater. I don't like I, – I really like something with a little more complexity and darkness and, you know, ambiguity. Yeah. And I also think it does a major disservice to uh, – hey, geographies, what, what is that for? That's just to make – who is that supposed to make feel better? It doesn't, it doesn't tell a story. I think to see people in all their mess – is way more interesting, and I think it humanizes yeah. them a lot more than pretending that we're all saints and, you know, perfect, which God knows I'm not. So. <laughs> yeah, I tried, but it was a hopeless case, so I just gave up. But, uh, <clears throat> going back to writing villains, uh, I think it's perfectly fine for you to write, uh, you know, Latina villains. It's not perfectly fine for me to do so. Well, you know, that's an interesting argument, right? Because that's one that we've been having all over the playwright sphere. Like, can I write this group? Can I write this group? Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you have to ask the question, that maybe you're not the right person to write it. I don't know. I mean, you live in Costa Rica. You probably know these people. That means that you have a lived experience with them. You could probably write about them, I would imagine. Um, I think if My experience is, is Nueva. Okay, it's new. I haven't been there all that long. I am still doing my research about the people, about the way they live. Mm -hmm. um, and as yet, you know, if, if I need to write a character, I'm, I'm going to write a character that I feel justified and comfortable with. Uh, yes. As opposed to someone of, of, of a category that I do not understand. Right. And right. I feel yes, yeah. I, I hear you. It's fair, you know. It's it's to to do so otherwise is more than gratuitous and edging towards um, incorrect. Yeah. W yes, and I, you know what? I agree with you so much. I have a play that I've been wrestling with for many years about um, that. One of the characters is a is a soldier from World War One, a, a British man, a young British Tommy. And I, I, the reason I've never done anything with that place because I feel like I have not been able to capture his voice in a way that I find authentic. Mm, yeah. And, and I don't, I could impose my voice on him, but then it wouldn't be the play I want. You know, it's, right. it's really interesting to me. I write, I, I don't write male characters as often because I don't feel like I have as much of an insight into them as I do with females, to be honest. And I don't want to write cartoons, not unless that's what I'm doing, but most, yeah. I would love to write a really honest and uh, piece and, and maybe my experience isn't there yet. So I totally hear you. It's something about living in the shoes and doing the research and using your empathy and, you know, we all have blocks about things, too. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating yeah. what, you know, what you give yourself permission to write, I think. I, I know I always go back to the people that I'm comfortable writing. Like, if I'm going to mm -hmm. write a 
a character, you know, like I say, I write for people I know because I feel like I get them. And if I don't get them, I can call them and say, hey, what would you do in this situation? And most of my friends are pretty game and they'll tell me and, and, you know, I'll go, oh, okay, all right. Interesting. I, I, I think that's great research. I think it's you know it's it's going to a source and asking for veracity. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. talk about um, Latinx women having many voices, um, and one of your actors in Policarpa uh, was talking after the play about bringing wholeness to what a woman is, and I'd like to discuss that, but. I also want to see, I just want to touch upon the, the idea that there, is there a vehicle that can achieve that level of complexity? Uh, it's, and any, any group of women is going to have, you know, a, a plethora of voices, all right, myriad yes. experiences and vastly different things. Um, how is that showing up in your own work? The interesting thing, for example, this recent reading I had is the there. Just speaking, just strictly of the voice, which I know it's not quite what we're talking about, but just to start there. Well, I mean, um, by, by voices, I mean it's probably yeah. not the right word. It's it's who these who these folks are, who these people no, are. No, no, totally, I get yeah. you. But here's the thing: for an actor, say for a, a Latinx actor, mm-hmm. the voice, right? I, like I said, I was trained in Britain. I've got a, I can do big voices and blah blah blah. But here in LA, so many times we get this um, the direction that I know a lot of us have gotten, and it's like something you could even tattoo on your arm: is slow down and. Um, don't be so dramatic. Don't, it's not a telenovela. I can't tell you how I could, I mean, Mm. I could poll my friends on Facebook and say, how many of you have gotten this direction from a casting person? And I'll tell you, it's going to be a lot. And it, 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 so it sort of shuts down the authentic voice, the way we speak. I know I do speak a little bit faster than the average person. And I do tend, I, my personality is dramatic and it's not because of anything except that's how I am. And, and I do feel that to conform to the work as an actor here in Los Angeles, I had to shut that down. I had to, there was a lot of work where I was meek and where I had to be more quiet and where I couldn't be too dramatic and I couldn't be too Shakespearean, which frankly is my go-to place. I mean, I could, the most fun in the world is standing in the middle of an amphitheater and howling, you know, howling at the moon because, (laughs) you know, that's what I, as an actor, that's what I want to do. But, but here we are taught to be quiet, to tamp it down, to take it down, to be more, you know, the simplicity. And I think it's a real, it's a disservice to the actor's voice and to the women's voice. Yeah. Why can't we, I'm Ian, Mc, I would love to know if anybody's ever told Ian McKellen to tamp it down. Oh, right? I'd love to be in that rehearsal room. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, Ian, you're peaking too early. Thank you. Yeah. And he's like, listen, I'm riding a wave, babe. <laughs> it's just a much bigger wave than you think it is. It, it's, it's so that's interesting to me. I, I look at people like Fiona Shaw and Deborah Warner mm-hmm. yeah. who have worked together for so long and you can see she, they trust each other. And Fiona is just large and that beautiful voice just yep. conveys everything that the playwright wants. And, and as a playwright and as a, an actor, I think, God, I, where are our voices? Where are they? 
I mean, literally and figuratively, of course, but also we, why have we been shut down and retaught to speak? My, my actress who played Policarpa here in Los Angeles had a beautiful accent, a little Mexican uh, accent, beautiful, musical, gorgeous. And she, she, when she first came in, she tried to sort of tamp it down. I was like, no, that's not your real voice. Use your real voice. It's okay. It's okay. Last night as a teacher, I had the same thing. One of my students was apologizing because she said the lines all come out wrong. And I said, it's your real voice. You don't have to change it. You don't have to change it. You just have to learn to live in it and to accept what it is and to make it work. You know, don't let yeah. don't, people are literally are taking away our voice boxes like the Little Mermaid, which I think is, you know, a nightmare. Wow. <laughs> a nightmare fairy tale. There's an analogy. Right. Oof. Yeah, it's uh, um, controlling the output on somebody else's voice when they're practicing their craft. That's yeah. a, that's an endless discussion, I think. I think so. I think it's a. I think that is something that would be really interesting to hear from different aspects mm-hmm. and see what they think about that. Because I feel I really do think it's something. I mean, granted, we're in a moment where there's a lot of small plays, and but are we losing that that? The epic voice. Are we losing that actor? I hope not. That's what I like to see. Oh, uh, given the number of playwrights that we both know, yeah. I don't think there's any danger yeah, of yeah. that happening. <laughs> Look, I love that. I love there's, that. There's two of them talking to each other right now. Exactly. <laughs> you have a yeah. character in Polycarpa who says, if there are only two kinds of us... Has one of us always been under the heel of the other? And I heard that, and I played that back about five times because I wanted to make sure I got it right. And it's just such a, a, a an addictively fascinating thing to consider. There's, it sounds like there's so much behind that. Please talk about that line. Well... It's really something that I'm struggling with is and that a lot of my actors struggle with when we talk about it. It's it's a it's and why I sort of play with it in the play about another dead woman, you know? Mm-hmm. Why the women die, the mothers die. There's always sacrifice. It's always women sacrificing themselves to somehow um save the world or they're getting beaten so that the hero can come in and and win or it's 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 really interesting. It's like we're the ones who give birth. We're the ones who – I mean we're the ones who are literally the creators, yeah. right? And yet somehow, some way, for thousands of years, we've been subjugated and why? And I'm really curious as to the question. Is it for the betterment – is it, there something in our DNA that says we have to behave this way so that we can repopulate the planet? We have to stay subsumed because our job is to – give birth and to be nurturing. And it's a fascinating, it's fascinating because you know, over history that the women in history, there must've been so many interesting, vital, fascinating women that we know nothing about. Nothing. Yeah. And, and why it's such a, I don't have an answer. It's just the question that, that just haunts me. It haunts me. You are familiar with the 365 women a year. Correct. Oh yes, oh, absolutely, right. absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. I've written for them. I love them. Mm-hmm. I love them. 
I think it's a great, it, it just, but it, it does. And, and here's the thing. I, I'm not, <laughs> because I've been accused of, you know, being anti-men. I'm not anti-men. I love men. Men have been wonderful to me in my career and been unbelievably helpful. And, but I do have to examine that idea of why, why are women, why have we rele- have we relegated ourselves to this role? Is it our, is it us? Is it something within us that we have to change? I think it's a, it's an interesting question and it's one that's probably, uh, you know, ready for a lot of um, discussion and, and fighting and agonizing, but it's really one worth doing, I, worth thinking about. It's, this, it's, this, go ahead. I was going to say, no, the, the new one that I'm writing, I'm, I'm really thinking about my grandmothers in, in Colombia and how they live their life. Both of them got married at 15, had children. I think my, my dad's mom had already had three or four kids by the time she was 18. Wow. So, and I just, you just, it's just something to, and they're both incredibly bright people. And I, it, it makes me so sad, but then I have to go through the sadness and say, okay, why, what is this? What is this? Mm. You know, why the subjugation? It's an interesting topic, and I think one that I could probably keep messing with and poking at for years and never never quite figure out. Oh, I think that topic could be looked at and poked at by a couple of dozen at least for yeah. you know half a millennia and and still, yeah, regardless of the progress, however you want to define that, okay, regardless of the change, yes, it would still be a fascinating mechanism in our sociological history and i'm putting that a little sterilely but it's about the only way i can make it happen right now yeah no absolutely absolutely because it's his it 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 will always exist even if we do reach some sort of utopia where there is equality it will have always existed in our history Mm -hmm. and and it's it's just it's fascinating is it it's fascinating it's it's such an interesting topic to me yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, it's one that's causing many discussions in many many places now. Yes, uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, moving on, next subject. I'm, I'm going to hit these last three kind of kind kind okay. of fast just to see what happens here. Great. Crone warrior virgin. <laughs> All right. Uh, that that's a, a triad that occurs in so many disparate cultures, cultures that have never even had contact with each other for, you know, thousands of years, but it occurs. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is that? Well, what I, I like to, I, I've been thinking about it as that woman, it's like being a tree, right? You, you're a sap, you're a sapling, then you're a big tree, then you're a stump. It's just something about the way women go through their life cycle that I think can be a little bit scary because we change so much. We, we were these ripe, beautiful creatures. And then we're, um, you know, it's like, it's like that old Sondheim. What is that line? Uh, first you're another snow white bam, then someone's mother, then your camp. I mean, that's pretty much, <laughs> it, that's like yeah. the cycle, you know? And, uh, it, it's a categorization. It's categorization, I think. And it's, um, it's just, we have to categorize things and people and yeah the warrior is the one i think that gets underused but in our in this society Uh uh-huh uh-huh and i think that's the one you should be everybody should be careful because i have a friend who's saying that it's the this is the time of the furies so 
watch out for the for the warriors, <laughs> for the crone women who are about to get their wings and start flying. I, I don't know. I hope so. That'll be a sight to see. Yeah. For yeah. the audience, uh, I bring that up not just randomly out of the blue, but it's it's um, part of a line from one of your plays. I just yes. to, I just wanted to work on that for a second. Um, speaking of women and plays, you uh, you have a blog, and uh, I think it was the last one on your blog. Uh, you were talking about women not submitting their work while men are pitching theirs out willy-nilly into the uh, into the grand canyon of of opportunities but the women are not doing circumspect work. yes yeah, circ- circumspect is a good way of doing it but um you could also say not being nearly as competitive that's right that's right i i feel uh and this is a lot with my students because I have a lot of very talented students that I'm constantly like trying to kick out the door. I say, get out of my class and go, you know, I do this to them all the time. Like, go, just go. Because there's just this, this thing that we have to be perfect. I mean, that our work has to be really perfect. Like it has to have gone through all the drafts and it has to be just, just so, just so. Well, I've had a whole lot of success throwing some kind of messy stuff out there with enough interesting, interesting pieces that people are like, Hey, let's work on this. Let's develop this. Um, and I just started to do that because I I just decided I wanted people to look at my stuff and and I wanted collaborators and I didn't think it was ever going to be perfect enough. Yeah. But but it's a thing. I mean, we talk about it on different playwright groups that that women don't tend to submit as aggressively as men and and it's not it's not a their fault or anything, but it is something worth thinking about. Like why not? Why not? Mm-hmm. It's not perfect enough. That's okay. It'll never be perfect. Never. You know, you're always going to look at it and go, Oh my God, I wrote that. That's terrible. <laughs> right. I think uh, sometimes I look at my work and I'm like, what was that? Yep. Holy girl. <laughs> oh my God. I sent that out. What's wrong with me? I know. I know. No. But you know, but, I mean, we, you and I have both been on the receiving end of uh, submissions, you know, Hey, yes. we'd like to play about X or Y. And, you know, we get 50 plays and there are going to be a certain percentage of that are good and you want to work with them. Um, And there's going to be some plays that need more work than you can put into. And there are going to be those that, you know, I I, I need to be kinder in describing them. So I'm not going to. Right. 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 But I like those plays in the middle. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like those plays in the middle where there's a real... Maybe because I do that, that's how I submit too. But wow, there's something super interesting there. There's a great something. And so let's play with that instead of this perfectly beautiful polished play, which is great. And you'll be fine and you're going to get productions. But this, boy, for me as just somebody who who likes to work with plays and playwrights in the room, I think, no, that's that's fun. Let's yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like a little mess, you know? Oh my God, it's it's so much fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, Diana Burbano, it has been so much fun talking to you. Uh, I wish oh, thank you, George. Another hour. Um, <laughs> so quickly, uh, tell our audience how they can find out more about you, your work, what you're up to, and all things Burbano. 
Well, uh, I have a website. It's dianabrabano.com, and you can I generally try to update it with news and things. I'm also on El Facebook if you're into that. I, I know a lot of us aren't because it just makes us angry. Mm. But uh, yes, and and um, I have a way. If you want to communicate with me, you can communicate with me on my my website, and I'm really happy to talk to people. I love getting emails from people who've read my work and. Um, you just want have questions, I'm always happy to answer them. And yeah, so I'll be around. I'm here in LA. I'm working for Center Theater Group this year, so it looks like I won't be traveling too much, although you know, I say that now, and I'll have stuff in the next few months. But uh, And hopefully I'll be able to teach a playwriting class somewhere where you are, which is something I love to do. That'll be so, fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to go to Costa Rica and do that, actually. Come on down. <laughs> yeah, for it. sure. Yeah. For sure. All right. Yep. Thanks so much, Thanks Dana. So much. Thank you, George. It was great. Hey, kids. Thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet or know of someone in the theater world... Who'd make some great chat? Please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. Onstage Offstage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you. Yeah.